Okay, we're back, ready to go. Let's all grab a seat, if you would. Shh. I'm going to pray and ask the Holy Spirit to speak to us and through us and to you and through you. Because this conversation, you're going to be having it when you leave the building tonight, for sure. You're going to keep talking about this. So Holy Spirit, we ask you as our teacher, teach us. There's so much we don't understand right now that I don't understand. Teach me. Teach us. Lord, I want to learn from their lips. And I ask that you would even teach their own heart through their own lips when they say things about this topic. And so we thank you in Jesus' name. Amen and amen. Well, ladies, here's what we're going to do. <clears throat> now I talked about how it is for young moms. So... Uh, that was a little scary, wasn't it, <laughs> for an old grandpa to talk about <laughs> what a young mom feels? <laughs> no, but just having fun. These are my friends, so I'm just having fun. Uh, here's what I want you to do. I want to hear anything that you can add to the points I made or any point you want a clarification, like, hey, what about that? Or a fear that you know a, a mother, a young mother would have Someone on the internet, a friend, yourself, anybody, say, hey, what about this fear? So, a point where you're adding to it, a point where you want clarification, or a point you're adding another dimension to the conversation of a fear that you know that somebody listening to this has, or they're going to watch the archives. So, who wants to go first? Heba. You smiled. That's how I come I picked you. <laughs> um, yeah, you know... I'm going to be honest. Wait, 10 seconds. Everyone that talks, say how long you've been here. Just a second or two. Uh, 16 years. 16 here. years. Yeah. I've been here um, 18 years. 18 years. Sarah, you've only been here like 17, I think. I think 19. 19? For real? Well, 03. I just made up 17. I came 03. So it's, no, it's almost 19. Yeah, almost 19. Oh my goodness. I've been here 11 years. I'm the baby, the baby of the group. But you came the first time when you were 14, right? Yeah. We had our, I was in the back room with her many years ago. She's 14. And she was, there's 50 ladies and one teenager. And it was a Q&A. And she spoke up and asked the most challenging end time questions. I go, who are you? <laughs> and the other ladies in the room didn't even know what she was talking about. I go, that is incredible. And she goes, should I do not know I'm in my father's house? Anyway. <laughs> I did really want to come here, so it's just anyway, a matter of time. <laughs> I was just going to say that I think I, I'll just bring you into my, my conversation with, my, with the Holy Spirit this, the, uh, today and with some friends that I think I feel so weak being a mom that it's the weakest version of myself. I have so many intentions of discipleship and mentoring and long Bible studies that are rich in the Word of God with Holy Spirit ministry times. All these are in my head, and none of them come to pass. Very few of them come to pass just because of the weakness of my frame. And so I feel, and yet I love them so much. Like anyone who's been a parent or you are a parent. How many children do you have? Four kids, 11 and under. And so I don't know if I feel equipped <laughs> to be a part of this conversation, although I'm honored to be a part of the conversation. But I, when I think of this, I think, just to start off the bat, I think of John 16, where it talks about, I have not left you as an orphan, but I will come to you. And I've clinged to that verse many times as a mom because there's so many situations as mothers and as people that there's, there's no scriptures for. There's so many circumstances, pressures, challenges, uh, there's so many things that, that life throws at us that there's not a, a specific scripture to answer that question. Do I do this job or that job? How do I answer my kid's difficult question about the Antichrist that I don't know how to answer? There's so many things that their life throws at me. And so when I don't know, my default is John 16 to go, okay, you have not left me as an orphan. You will come to me. And so right now, I asked that you would come. Like, it's the promise of Scripture that he's going to come. And so, and I'll just bring you into this other conversation that a lot of times I'll lean on to my husband, my husband Joseph. Um, 
and I'll lean on like the kids will they'll have a bad day or there'll be a tenter, temper tantrum that I'm just have discipled many times and I'm <laughs> I'm done discipling. I'll leave it there. I'll leave it there. And Wait, does anybody relate to that? Um, yeah, I've, I've grown. quit my discipleship job that day. But um and I'm just waiting for dad to come home because mom's in a timeout. I'm done, you know? And and I just, I have, a, I have a sense that the Lord's like, I'm their father too. I'm their husband. I'm your husband and I'm their father. And I would invite you to have the conversation in your mom timeout of how to handle this situation. Now, who's saying this? The Lord is saying this to you? To I mean, me? not verbally, not yeah, like but audible, I mean, but I, like in, when I'm doing well, I'm remembering these things in my heart. Um, <laughs> you know? Okay. <laughs> I'm not alone, right? Right, okay. Um, but there's that sense of, of, of the Holy Spirit is, is, has lead, is leading us and will lead us, and I feel so confident that he put that verse right in the middle of talking about Matthew 24 two days later. Like we've talked about, he's talked about Luke 21 two days later. And right in the middle of that conversation, he goes, I have not left you as an orphan. I will come. So it's a promise that we can draw on that well anytime we need to as mothers and just people in the body of Christ. But just for my specific role as a mom, I draw on that and go, I need you to come right now with this specific parenting situation. So tell me a fear that mothers have something. I mean, there's many that I did not, not just because they're mothers, but that I did not address. Talk for some of the ladies out there that say, hey, bring this one up. I just have a question. I was just thinking about um, the subject of denying Jesus and what that looks like if, you know, you're put before a situation where you're having to make a choice. I think that's a fear that I've had. If I have to make a choice to, you know, give up my children, you know, we hear stories even about what's happening in Afghanistan right now. Oh, and so it's like, do you give up your children or, you know, or are you denying Jesus? And like, what happens with that? Like, how does, what does the Lord think of that? And is there mercy there? And I, don't, I just, that's a question I have. So are you asking a question or just expressing a? I'm asking a question. Okay. Give me the question real specific. Okay. Do you deny the Lord in what sense? Someone knocks on your door and says, do you believe in Jesus? You say, no. I mean, in what sense, what, what does that mean? I don't know. I, I think that that's just a fear that I have had is if that were put before me. But they deny you, I mean, you deny the Lord in what way? They say, you have to renounce that you believe in him or I'm taking your daughter away. Yeah, that would be a great Is that the question? Sure. Yeah, I mean, at the end of the day, Peter denied the Lord, but he recovered and determined not to. So you don't, you don't want to be in a place where that is a long-term decision. I think people will mess up, and the Lord will give them mercy, but they say in their heart, no, I am going to go for you because at the end of the day, you are the resurrection, and we live for billions of years, and that's the, that's the muscle we're working is that look, uh, anchoring our soul in that reality and so I think at the end of the day, you want to stay faithful even though you lose a child. But will you do that the first time? Maybe not. Does that mean you're out? No, that doesn't mean you're out. 17 times later where you've determined I am not going to have pain in my life just because of Jesus. Because that's the real issue. You know, I'm not going to bear this pain, which is her pain. Her pain brings me pain. I'm not going to let that happen. And so Jesus, I'm sorry, I'm done. I think that you'll talk to him and you and him will figure out how you can actually be faithful to him in that. But again, the one time, do you recover? Well, Peter did. A number of them did. And all through history, I have no doubt there were guys that did that and recovered. But it's the long-term decision. What do you think? No, no, tell me what you think. Yeah, I love that. I mean, I think that's awesome. I think looking at Peter is is the perfect example. And Jesus, he did. He, he saw the end of Peter's life and called him forth in that, even though he knew that he would deny him. And so I love that the end of this story 
is what Jesus called forth in Peter. You know, and the thing about Peter we don't think about, and I don't want to get off on this too much, but in Galatians 2, he did it again. Like years later, he fell into hypocrisy and the fear of man and didn't deny Jesus, but denied what Jesus told him to do, and he went the other way. And Paul said, Peter, what are you doing? This is inconceivable, that what you're doing. And he says, I called him out in his hypocrisy and fear of man. This is years later. I mean, maybe 20 years later. Like, Peter, you know, come on, man. Let's get this thing going. Okay, I have a question. What would be your advice? Um, I'll tell you my thought, and I'll try to bring it into a question. In my pursuit of preparing my heart, I can go to worst-case scenarios. You go where? To worst case scenario. Oh, yeah, 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 so yeah. you go, okay, so if... That was a real bad scenario a minute ago. <laughs> right. But it's, it's with the goal to prepare. Like, it's like, okay, if, if I were to be tortured and they said, well, kind of your, your example, were, if, you, if you deny Jesus, we'll save your kid. Right in front of you, here's your kid watching it happen. And I'm picturing this scenario and I'm feeling more fear and I'm going... I don't think I could do it. Don't, can't do what? I don't think I would be strong enough to say, I won't deny him if you have my child in front of me with a gun to their head. So I'm picturing, the, the beginning of this was, I'm going to prepare myself by putting myself in these situations and to see if I can handle it. Yeah, right. But in it's your brain, only your creating yeah, I think that's the fear. push-ups we're doing. Those are the spiritual push-ups by thinking it through, talking it through, so it doesn't surprise you in one second. You've gone there a thousand times in your heart. But when I go there in my heart, I decide I can't do it. It does not create good fruit. <laughs> so your push-ups, but your stomach's on the floor the whole time. Basically, I, I, yes, I, I leave feeling so disheartened. It's like I hear the rooster crowing behind me. Uh, so I, I want to know, I feel like those situations don't help me to create these scenarios that I don't know if they will be my scenarios. But I want to have a prepared heart and I don't want to be shocked. So I feel like if I, my option is an ostrich head in the sand or let's think of another one. Nope, can't do that one either. And I'm just feeling my courage leave. So what's the worst case scenario if they shoot your child? Okay, worse would be they shoot me. Yeah. With my child watching. Okay, but where they don't recover. What happens when that happens? They don't recover. How do you know? Well, that's what my story is telling me. Oh. <laughs> what if it's opposite, and they thought I want courage like my mom has? Okay, okay, but the what day if they go completely opposite of that. The day I picture this story is the day I screwed up with something small, like. So already, you know, I'm like struggling to be a patient mom with juice not spilling on the floor. So now I go here. It's over. Yeah. Like, how do I know? I'm in timeout too. How do I know I'm going to make it if I can barely make today's battles? I think we should go back to you talking about labor. <laughs> labor pains. Right? Labor pains. Eight hours for 80 years. I'm going to appeal to the pastor. Is, is, is there a pastor in the house to bail me out here? No, he's, he's not in the house. <laughs> I'm kidding. Can I just, I'll yeah. jump in and say, it's funny because I've totally, I think especially since the two weekends in July, it, we talked about basically more details of what, the end times is going to look like, specifically related to standing with Israel and the Jews. And there was just a weighty presence on it this time around when he talked about it, because he'd been talking about it for a long time, and we've all tracked with it. But there was something that hit me in a more profound way in July when he did that. So I've honestly been going through worst case scenarios. I think you want to. Yes, yeah, since July. And here's the thing is now that it's being coupled with this John 13 to 17 conversation, I feel the fear multiplying in my heart when I go to the worst case scenario. And then the thing that the Holy Spirit in that moment, I mean, 
honestly, this is very, very recent, but the thing that the Holy Spirit has been helping me is do not let your heart be troubled. You believe in God, believe also in me. In my Father's house are many rooms. I go to prepare. And it is, it is the spiritual push-up that I think he's helping us with right now because he's saying, I, this is a command for you to not have a troubled heart. Therefore, you need to begin to live in the reality of the many rooms that are available to you right now. And I've just been like little phrases that the Lord has been speaking to me of just how it's like right now I can live in the reality of the Father's many rooms that Jesus already went to the cross to prepare a way for me for. And just allowing the perfect love of John 13 to 17 that casts out fear. And so I will, I've honestly like, okay, I've got like two under my belt, you know, it's three steps forward, five steps back. I've had a few like practice rounds of my push-ups. I'll stick with the push-up analogy. I've done a couple push-ups this week and it's helped. And then it's like the next day I'll read a news headline and the fear is back. The fear is back and it's like, okay, going back to another worst case scenario or whatever. And it's like, okay, this is another opportunity for a push-up today. But I'm also feeling on the other side of it. I was saying this to Morgan before the session. It's like, I've actually been feeling the love of John 13 to 17. And that's been the thing that's helping me. It's like, it's no longer just words. It's like, I feel his presence on my heart. I feel his nearness saying like, Yes, that like I'm bringing you to this living reality. And I think even what you said is if we can talk about this right now as young moms, our, we're right now in the renewing of the mind. We're in the transforming of the mind. Yeah, we're in a 20-year conversation. Yeah, but our present reality isn't always going to be our present reality. Exactly. We really are going to move forward. We really are going to get stronger as we do these push-ups and therefore... I'm just thinking if perfect love casts out fear, if my conversation is more about the perfect love, then fear is not going to be able to dwell there. And one last thing is um, we had uh, in April, the weekend when Chris Reed was in town. And, you know, Chris Reed, he operates in this incredible prophetic anointing. He'll be here tomorrow night. He's going to be here. And um, that whole weekend was just the Lord speaking in such profound ways over and over and over again. And I got to the end of the weekend, you know, his presence was there, all those things. I got to the end of the weekend and realized I didn't think about politics one time this weekend. And it was because the presence of the Lord was so real. I was so enjoying the fellowship that we were having with each other, like seeing John Chisholm get called out by his middle name. And all of a sudden it's like, John is a giant in the spirit. And all of a sudden you're knowing someone in the spirit. I'm totally referencing something from that weekend. But you see someone according to the spirit. So then you're more in love with them. And, and we're watching primarily one person walk in this like incredible supernatural gifting. But I'm like, if that's going to be the normal for the church, for every single one of us, I'm like, my mind is not going to be thinking about the politics or like the things that are, I'm going to be in a totally different mind space exactly. in That's that exactly day. exactly right. That was one of my big points. We're going to be in a different conversation, a different yep. paradigm. Lot, we got lots behind it because think it's 10, 20, 30 years later and how much more is in your mind and how much more is happening in the body of Christ. And, and we're not picturing it that way. But we do need to have the conversations now. And then the practical is like in the week as we're having the hard moments as a mom, it's like, okay, time for a push-up, you know? I love that, Gabe. That's so good. I've been also thinking just in the John 13 through 17 conversation and John 14, you know, Jesus tells us, don't let your heart be troubled. This is how you don't let your heart be troubled as you meditate on my father's house and then back in... I love that you guys are talking like this. This is awesome. Back in chapter 12, Jesus actually says, my soul is troubled. And so it's going like, wait a minute, Jesus, your soul is troubled? This is in the hours, in the days just before Jesus is going to the cross. And he's about to bear you know, the wrath of the Father and the weight of the world on his shoulders. And he's going to the cross and he's saying, my heart is troubled. And he, 
He says, but I have come for this purpose, to fulfill the will of my Father for my Father's glory. And Jesus over and over is talking about the Father. And he's, he's talking about where he came from and where he's going. And he's just back and forth. And the, the, all those chapters, I'm like amazed at how much he's talking about the Father and talking about where he's going. And where he's going, there you will be also. And I just have this prayer right now. I'm just asking the Lord, I'm like, bring me into your meditation. That's the prayer that I'm praying. Jesus, bring me into this meditation, the meditation of the Father's house. So back to Sarah. (laughs) Worst case scenario, tell me, okay, they have a gun at one of your child's head or yours. What's the worst case scenario? What happens then? I could probably... I need, I, I need a minute to pull up all of my worst-case scenarios. What? I said, I need a minute to pull up all of my worst-case scenarios, but we can stay with no, that one. No, let's just stay with that one, because you, I, I, I want you to think through the worst-case scenario. Okay, so what happens? My fear is that my child would be so traumatized. and If you're shot. Yeah. And so does the Lord intervene with your child? Does the Lord oversee the process? If he is... How do you know your daughter's traumatized or your son or whatever? Because, I mean, the worst case scenario is if the Lord abandoned you and he wasn't helping, but he's helping. So, because our fears, I'm not like picking on you, our fears as though he's not involved, as though that is not his child. It's your child. He's going, really? That's my child. <laughs> I care more than you care. Watch. And so that, that's what I mean by think it all the way through. He shoots. A child dies. They're in indescribable glory in one second. So worst case scenario, they're not complaining. You are because you're sad. You'll be with them very soon. So you're not complaining. You're not in a place where you think you are because when it happens, you think, wait, we... It's not going to be easy. You're going to cry. Paul says we weep, but not like the others weep. We weep differently in 1 Thessalonians. And so, or you shoot. Uh, They shoot you. She, he is traumatized. I don't want to pick one. Just, I'm going to keep it all hypothetical. But how do you know? And does, does the Lord intervene? I mean, we got to think all the way through like that and go, we don't know. And the Lord says, let's talk about that then. Let's do push-ups on that. Where am I in my leadership when I, I let something like this happen? Let's work on that one right now. And that's what I mean by worst-case scenario. I'll go all the way to what happens if that happens. And it always comes down to him, you, me, eternity, and glory. Yeah. Keep going. I'm not that good at taking it all the way to that scenario. Well, that's what the push-ups are about, though. Okay. That's good. I mean, mean, blow it a bunch more times in your mind. I can't go there. I can't go there. Listen, at least now we're talking about what you can't go there with, the point you can't go. Let's talk about that more. Like, I wouldn't think to finish the story going, and the Lord intervenes and pastors their heart. But now I say are. that, but I, I, there are. is a history growing. <laughs> What's that? There is a history growing more than I realized oh, yeah. with that. But, but even when you say, I can't go there, then what happens literally, though, I'll, <clears throat> I'll prophesy to you, I don't prophesy. Tomorrow, you and the Lord, you'll be saying, Lord, could I go there? <laughs> you'll be start talking about it now. You wait and see. And he'll say, let me talk to you about that. What if he gives you a dream in two months about that? And he talks to you directly. You say, well, now that's helpful. The Lord says, you didn't think I was ever going to help? You know, it just keeps on unfolding. And again, we're all in it together. But I just know he keeps on intervening in surprising ways. And the spirit of glory rests on us. And we're not, we're, we're imagining it without the spirit of glory touching our heart and their heart. You know, it's the Corey Ten Boom story. I, it's been so many years since I heard it. So, but she wants to get on the on the train. Did you guys? I just finished the book. Yeah, yeah to, to say the story thing because it's like forty years ago I saw the story, the hiding place. She she wants to get on the train and she says, "Dad, what if I'm afraid of this and that and the other?" He goes, "Honey, when it's time to get on the train, I give you the ticket right beforehand, and not not okay. before that. And when that situation comes, the Lord will give you the ticket right before you." 
that Nailed was, it. That's it. Oh, Nailed oh, really? That's okay, it. that was a long time ago. <laughs> it's that deal. So in the moment, he surprises us because you're his beloved. Your child is his beloved more than your beloved. You're together forever, forever. The one who dies is happy as can be. <laughs> the one who doesn't die is the one that has to figure out the pain. I'm afraid I will be in so much pain. The Lord says, well, how do you know you'll be in that much pain? I mean, you will be in pain, but how do you know you won't get over it? What if I surprise you? Have you ever got over a surprise death? Well, yeah, I guess technically I have. Well, then how'd you get over it? Because you didn't care? No. Because I touched you? I don't know. I never thought about it. Well, then... You just rose up and didn't care and got tired of thinking about it? No, that's not it. Maybe I touched you and you didn't yeah. even know I did. You know, you just tease it out inch by inch by inch. A hundred conversations with the Lord. And it's inch by, it's really the push-ups. I just want to add on that note how invaluable it is to have sisters and brothers in the faith to have these conversations with. That I think that, um, I remember... So my, my youngest is four, our oldest is 11. And uh, after we had our oldest, we had, a, had about an 18-month pause where the Lord just pushed pause and I was unable to get pregnant. And then he pushed play and then we had three in a row, three in three years. And I remember in that three to three-year phase and I was homeschooling and all the things, you know, fill in the blanks. But just in the thick of motherhood and the littles and the diapers and the messes and the jam is on the ceiling and everything, you know? Um, and I remember that my safety net was the sisters that I was with. And I, I remember being very trying, I mean, I didn't do it perfectly by any stretch of the imagination, but just trying to be picky, I'm gonna use that word, about who I would let in on the deepest heart level because I wanted to trust them that when I got offended or when there was a temptation to get bitter or to, to let these notes fall to the ground and, and to use the excuse, I don't have time to get ready for the end times. I don't even have time to get ready for the day, you know? I can't get ready for the end of the age. I can't even brush my hair today. I'm just gonna throw this out, you know? The, but the idea is the Lord is going, I have prepared you for such a time and I'm giving you sisters as the safety net to hold you in. I don't want a sister to let me get bitter when I'm having a bad day or a bad month. Get me out of that pit. Don't, don't put the Band-Aid on. No, get, get me out. You know, Get me out of the offense. Talk me into righteousness. Talk me into serving and fasting the little piece of chocolate that I have at the end of the night because that's the only thing I can fast right now. Help me... Get me into the right conversation, you know, instead of the wrong conversation of all the excuses of I can't get ready for this massive mountain that's in front of me when I feel overwhelmed by just the to-do list of today. And so I feel like the Lord, even he's going to give those watching on the web stream, those in the room, there's some that I feel that are even lonely where you're going, I'm the only one I know that's, that's going through this, that's tracking with this. And I feel the Lord's going to answer you and go, I'm going to give you sisters. I'm going to give you brothers. I'm going to knit you to a family of affection that you are going, you're not alone in this conversation. We can't figure these things out alone. We can't. And it's, it takes the bigger body of Christ to knit ourselves together. We go farther together. We stay safer together. We, this Ephesians chapter five, it says we're members of one another. We belong to one another in the body of Christ. And I feel like the Lord is going to, um, he's going to answer that for some of those, uh, even on the web stream. Yeah, I think that that is such a key thing. We're picturing the body of Christ in a Laodicean dullness. And we're picturing, like I said in the day, uh, our children in the 15-year-old youth group like our 15-year-old youth group was. And we're going to have that conversation. And the Lord's saying it's not going to be that conversation and this church isn't going to have a spirit of dullness weighing down 90% of them. Right. It's going to be very, it's going to be what you just said. It's what you said. Vibrant people in humility and wisdom and tender. The body of Christ is going up. I mean, there's a betrayal culture happening, but the betrayal culture is actually the context for the deep love to develop, actually. It's going to backfire on the enemy because the love, the John 17 love is going to grow in that context much stronger, much faster. And so, but there's going to be millions in that John 17 
in, in the way it's not happening right now. Like if, if I looked at the, the state of the body of Christ right now and thought this is as deep and as much support as we're going to get, it would be more unsettling. Yeah. And the Lord says, no, I didn't plan human history to leave it like that. I've got surprises. Yeah. Amen. And well, that's what you were just saying. But I just want to say that over and over because that's our hard part picturing it like it is now or like it used to be when we were younger. And it's not going to be that way. Talking about the relational spiritual dynamic. I was just going to share a couple of prayers that I pray that I've prayed over my kids since they were young. And um, I really believe like the Lord will answer these prayers. You know, they're weak prayers and they're part of our push-ups, you know, that we do every day, but we, we can ask the Lord for protection and we can ask the Lord for things like in that day. And so one of the prayers that I pray is from Psalm um, 17, verse eight. It says, keep me as the apple of your eye and hide me in the shadow of your wings. And I, I sing this song, I've sang it over my kids, at, not every night, but a lot since they were really young. Wait, say that verse again. That's fantastic. Say it again. Psalms 17, verse 8 says, Keep me as the apple of your eye and hide me under the shadow of your wing. And we think about Jesus. Jesus is the great high priest. He's the one that guards and he keeps us. And if you think, you know, the apple of your eye is the very center of your eye. And he, you know, says that he... He loves Israel, you know, like the apple of his eye, but he thinks the same way of us, and he has deep affection over us. And so this is, it's just a prayer. It's, a, it's actually an old Misty chorus that she sings. Keep me as the apple of your eye. Hide me in the shadow of your wings. I probably heard it 18 years ago when I, I first moved here. I love old Misty chorus. What a great phrase. I know. I mean, 18 years ago, I was, you know... A teenager when I moved here, and now and I have. She sang it back then. She and, sang it back oh, then, and it was, it's something that stuck with me, and <laughs> and <laughs> and it's beautiful. You can look it up on the unceasing app. <laughs> But it's a, it's a great thing. And my kids, like, they remember this song. And we have to trust that these songs that we sing over our kids, that the Lord's going to bring to their remembrance and that he's going to answer them. And then the other, the other verse that I pray is from Zephaniah 2, verse 3. And it says, um, you know, it's talking about gather together before the decree is issued, before the Lord's fierce anger comes. It says, seek the Lord. And then it says, it, it may be that you will be hidden in the day of the Lord's anger. That means protected in the hour of judgment. Yes. And so that's a prayer that I pray. I lean into that prayer and I ask the Lord, Lord, hide my kids. Hide them from wicked men. Deliver them from wicked men. And we can pray these prayers. We can ask the Lord for his protection and he will answer. At the same time, I think we have to have a theology for suffering. We have to pass the next generation a theology for suffering. If we look at Jesus and the way that he went to the cross, his life that he lived, and he calls us into the daily push-ups of dying to ourselves. That's what we're doing right now. We're making these choices to daily die, to daily serve, to daily love, that we have to trust that in that day that he will be the one that will guard and keep us the apple of, of his eye, but that if their hour for suffering comes, that he will be faithful to to guard them. And we look at Corrie ten Boom, and she did go to a concentration camp, but she was also spared from many, like, just the wickedness. She was spared from wicked things happening to her, even though she was in the midst of a wicked place. should share the story of the Richard Wembrandt and his mom. Oh, yeah. It's, I think it was his wife. It's the voice of the martyrs, um, Guy Richard Wembrandt. He, um, his wife went to prison in Soviet Russia, I believe. Um, and 
she's in a prison camp, a concentration camp, and one night she, you know, did something wrong, and they penalized her, and she had to skip her meal, so she's really frustrated, obviously, they're starving anyways, and she goes out and to just take this walk, and she's walking around, she begins praying and talking to the Lord. in the camp? In In the the prison camp, yeah which she wasn't supposed to do, but she did. She gets out at night and she's just walking around praying, praying, praying. And, and suddenly she's like woken up from like her prayer by this voice yelling at her, hey, hey, like um, he says, you have a mother praying for you. You must have a mother praying for you. And she turns around and there's a guard there with a gun to her head saying, I have been following you for 30 minutes trying to shoot you and I cannot kill you. He is like, get back to your room. And why couldn't he? Because the bullet wouldn't work or he just couldn't pull the trigger? There's some supernatural whatever way he just like was not able to kill her. And this guy is connecting. You have a mother back home praying for you. And... um, it's, it's incredible. Like, and we, we as mothers for our children and we as mothers, the church, we are to pray and to ask the Lord for these things. See, you have that, you read that story and that's like, wow. Over in China, the underground church, they came here. They have the stories among themselves, not from a book. They have, a, they have the stories. My point being, that's the spirit of glory. If as trouble increases here, we will have those stories in our own midst. And not three of them, there'll be many of them. And the strength, collective strength that many will get when many stories are circulating, not from 50 years ago, from today in our world, that's a part we're not thinking about. Can I ask a question? Yes. One of the things then that sometimes I think about is the deception that's going to be on the earth and just how, um, I mean, Stuart talked about this not too long ago, but even just in Revelation 17, like how seductive the harlot Babylon system will be. And I guess a fear then of um, not, I don't know if my fear is not being able to train our children to resist that, but just like the fear of succumbing to that spirit of seduction so I don't know what my question is exactly, but that is a fear of like, what if my kids don't withstand that? It's not good. No. <laughs> but. It's not. <laughs> Next question. <laughs> that was like, wow, right? <laughs> but think about it. Again, I've, I've been a pastor 45 years. Do you know how many Count, I'm putting you guys on the list, dorky, weak human beings that I have known who are faithful to the Lord. How does that happen? Thousands and thousands. It's us. So if it's us, why can't it be them? I mean, how come you're not? A praying mom for real. Well, well then that means your daughter's got a praying grandmother. Does she have a praying mother? She sure does. There you go. <laughs> No, but think, I mean, I'm thinking of so many people, and they're staying on. Yeah. It's us. How come we're staying on? You know, it, that's the answer, actually. Yeah. You know, it's the thing I was saying the other day is that Peter on the front end had more confidence in his commitment to Jesus than in Jesus' commitment to him. And it flipped, and he ended up with more confidence in Jesus' commitment to him there, there's, it's, it's not hard for a weak, broken person to keep inching forward. Mm-hmm. So good. I mean, it's really, they're not going to do that. This is not going to happen. Uh, a verse that I have just grabbed a hold of for myself. In the middle, I feel like, okay, in the middle of working this all out is Psalm 53, when I'm afraid I will trust in you. And the reason why I love that is when I feel afraid, I generally hear the voice of the accuser going like, You've, that's the end. You weren't supposed to be afraid. If you loved him, you would be courageous. And so the immediate feeling of fear 
has the temptation to make me draw back because a because it's a statement that yes. you're not real yes which is a completely yes. a false statement yes <laughs> but when you start with that yeah because you could be very fearful and be very genuine in your love yes for sure so i love this verse because it's like you're allowed to trust in him when you're afraid and i feel suddenly not disqualified to come afraid when I have this idea, so even let's like specifically this topic of being a mom, raising children, and even now thinking of my daughter raising children with a much more intense life than what I have, which is terrifying. It's just what? It's terrifying. But it might be opposite. It might be opposite. No, 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 no. <laughs> I, I'm not trying to be hyper positive, meaning a really hard work. They don't have the same conversations, the same mindsets, the... The 15-year-olds that will be talking, they won't even be talking about the same things. And, and so it's the fact that it's terrible might mean they're far more locked in than you were because it's so terrible. So it might be opposite of terrible. <laughs> Spiritually, it may not be terrible because it's difficult uh, out there. Because we've had it so easy in our nation uh -huh. that... Our biggest problem is spiritual boredom and options. Our problem isn't heroic love waking up because people we love are in a life and death situation. We don't think about that much. Scores of them will be thinking about that and their human spirit will touch, it'll touch them. And so if it's harder, it may actually be spiritually safer. Yeah. yeah. I mean, really for real. So, I mean, this is, I feel like I just have to, I'm working it out in front of everyone. But I, I'm like, it has, you think it will work. That's what I feel right now. You, feel, you think it will work. Oh, for sure. I know, well, I know that, but it, it feels risky. <laughs> Yet I know there's no other option. I'm just looking at, like, that, that plan makes sense. But the only option is that the Lord will grip the hearts, all of our hearts. But again, the, the C.S. Lewis quote I, I, I gave is that pain makes the conversation change at every level with God in yourself to people. It all changes. Pain makes the conversation change. And, th and so you cannot guess how bad that conversation is going to get because it might just get good. <laughs> it may go yeah. exactly the opposite. Yeah. That's good. <laughs> it is. It's good. It's, but it's thoughts that I don't lean towards quickly all the time. It's not foreign to my thought life, but it's, I mean, I, I say the negative and you're going, but it could be so amazing. And I'm like. And I'm not trying to be a cheerleader. I know I'm you're not. I'm trying to be totally realistic. <laughs> yeah, I know. I actually love, though, that you are coming in with this opposite view of things because part of me has been thinking like man it is really easy to look at like some of the details of the verses and think like this is only negative and something I was thinking about just in the last month is like when we start to talk about the positive when we start to talk about the greater works than these that are literally promised to us for the end of the age and to our kids I'm like the conversation will shift where all of a sudden it's like we're not viewing the trouble, the pressure the same way. It's like we're, we're a in a... prepared bride shows up at the end of this. Yeah. And the, and the maturing in love that the pressure causes. Like I just even think of like, I know I grew in the last year and in, in how much I'm talking to the Lord just because of having extra pressure in my life. But how positive of a thing that is like and how good it's been and how that's even changing the conversations that I'm having with my kids you know everything we're talking about this now because yeah. we're in a conversation in our body about these things i don't mean that's all we talk about but we're only talking about this because we've talked about it over the years yes i just i want to share um i had a dream a couple months ago and i have um so we have four kids i mentioned that earlier but each kid had a platform and in front of the platform it was like a old school theater style so picture a platform and then just seats right in front of them for rows and rows and rows. And so there's four of them. And as 
there's each all the seats were filled and there was a little bit of a like an angst in the crowd to begin with in the dream and the the the, the crowd was like not full-on angry yet but they were like disagreeing and commensurate to that disagreement each of my kids I just saw them in different scenes in the dream they were they were standing up for truth and they were saying, no, you know, I know you disagree. It wasn't like a conversation, but you know how you know things in the dream without words being spoken. And so they were, they were standing up for truth and then it leveled up and it was, instead of just disagreement, it was anger and commensurate to the anger, each of the children stood up more for truth. And then it went from anger to rage and it was just picture, I mean, it was just, anger on drugs and they were so angry they were so upset with with my children and they they were grown adults in the dream and they were it was like the angrier the crowd grew the more they were so solidified in truth and confidence and the word of god that your children were yeah my there children each, each one of them and so I, this hostility actually it, it made them double them. down with yeah, truth. Yeah, it doubled down yeah, the standard of truth. That's absolutely true. And so when I think of that, I think of the verse in Isaiah, help me with the passage, but it's uh, the standard of righteousness um, will come. I think I'm like, I'm misquoting it. But the idea being that commensurate to the evil is there's a commensurate standard of righteousness. The Lord's not going to leave us alone. He's not going to go, here's an antichrist and I'm not going to give you the Holy Spirit. You figure it out on your own. He's not like that. He's a kind father. He's a bridegroom that's going to come back for a prepared bride. And so again, when I'm in my good state of, of parenthood, that I'm thinking of that. And I, I think part of the problem we've had, I've had, is that the mixture of the gospel has been so mixed in our youth group. What's defined as fiery isn't really that fiery. And there's not even very, I don't mean to be negative, but there's not very many people doing that fiery thing, you know, that's not even New Testament Christianity. It's cultural Christianity, but that cultural Christianity will be so washed away and it will totally be agree. so clean with the gospel that it, our children, the Revelation 3 conversation that we're having now, that's not going to be part of their conversation. Their conversation is what signs and wonders did you do the other day? Because this was my package of signs and wonders that I, what open vision did you have? And there will be trouble and all that, but, but when we can think of it as preparing them for the glory that the glory won't take them out, not the evil won't take them out, that the glory won't take them out. They will be protected in that lovesick gaze of the Lord and serving one another in humility and godliness. And that will be their conversation as they move forward. So I think you're saying that when the enemy comes in like a like flood, a flood. Okay, yeah, that's the Isaiah 59, yeah. when the enemy comes in like a flood, the then Lord the, will raise up a standard Yeah, the Holy Spirit. The yes. Holy Spirit, yeah. One thing that I've enjoyed over the years, it's been a hobby, is that I've mentioned this a few times over the years, is that I get every book I've ever ran across that I can find about people that have had death experiences. And so, I, like in the 70s, every time I'd go to another city, I'd go to the Christian bookstore and get that one book. People who had death experiences, they went there and came back. And I've, I've got this many of them over 50 years of getting them. I never pass one up. And I'm so fascinated by it. And, and so that has helped me because I'm, I've lived in that. I don't mean lived in it like 24 hours a day, but I've, my imagination has been sparked by those books because there's many of the stories that, that are the same. I mean, the same events happen. There's like two things, I'll just say two of about 10. Two things, first of all, is this how incredibly fast and easy death is. It's not hard. And everyone that has a death experience, talking about believers, and they come back, they didn't die or they did die, but came, who knows for sure how that works. They said, it was so easy. And it was painless and it was like amazing. Are you kidding? I just thought it'd be terrifying or, or something. All of them said that. It was just, just that quick and it was good. And the second thing is that when they first died, they did not know they died. Yeah. And you know, it was like the, a couple of them I could picture, they got in the car wreck, they said the same thing, different people from different decades. You know, the lady goes, I got in a car wreck, and I looked over, and it looked like me laying down on the ground, on the street. I went, wow, why? 
she looks just like me. She doesn't know she's, that is her, and her spirit is so alive and so real, and it was so completely effortless and so not painful at all. She went, oh, wow, I'm dead. That was amazing, actually. <laughs> and I've read those things over and over and over again, is that the person who dies, Paul says it, but it's not some big faith statement. He saw it because he experienced it. He goes, for me to die is gain. It's fantastic. The person who dies is so happy when they die. And almost everyone I've talked to, the, or even interviews, the 20 or 30, not 500, but not two or three, who had a death experience, almost all of them did not want to come back. They just said, for you I will, but this is so warm. This is so, feels so much pleasure. I, yeah, and they said, but your family, yeah, I know. Oh, I love them but this is so sweet right here. <laughs> and the ones that came back, it was with determination to come back, not because they really wanted to at the core. They wanted to for goodness sake. And so when you get, when we think of death that way, then death is like, to Paul, death was not an enemy that was stealing something from him, though he would say death is the last enemy because it separates people. But death was not a penalty for Paul. Death, he says, if I die, that's my gain. He goes, it's better for me to depart and to die as gain, but it's better for you if I hang in there and don't go. And so he did not view death as a penalty. And most people in our world, because we don't talk about death much, and we don't have that many friends that have had death experiences. You know, we, we all have maybe that one guy or two guys. But if there's a bunch of people that have experienced that, and we talk about it a lot, all of a sudden, we start settling the death issue. And like, death is like exciting. I mean, really exciting. Again, the separation is, is the negative. But the separation is very temporary. But the, the person who died, they're not concerned. <laughs> they're going, oh, I can, we'll be there in a minute. Come on, man, we're good. And we just get all these mindsets that are just opposite of truth. Hebrews 2.15 has been a verse that has been getting me recently, and it's, it's this uh, verse that says that Jesus came, you know, he partook of flesh and blood, he defeated the, de the devil, but that he would deliver all those through the fear of death were subject to lifelong slavery. Wait, lifelong slavery to the fear of death. To the fear of death. Every human being has that slavery until we're freed by the grace of God, and we see it different. Yeah, and uh, Chris Reed, this was something he said when he was here, is that every fear is rooted in the fear of death. But if the fear of death, if we've been delivered from the fear of death by what Jesus has done, then we have no need to fear. And this has been like another meditation of bringing in this verse when I'm about to do my push-up, you know? It's like, you've actually already made a way for me to be fully delivered from fear and from the fear of death. And um, I'm just going to couple that really quick with Revelation 1. I've loved this verse in verse 17. It's John seeing Jesus, the resurrected Jesus. And I'm thinking like John the Beloved was, you know, the one who Jesus loved, leaned on his breast, knew Jesus probably the most intimate in the, in the flesh and the natural. But how John, when he sees the beauty of Jesus, it says he falls at his feet like a dead man. And then in this verse... When I saw him, I fell at his feet as though dead, but he laid his right hand on me saying, fear not, I am the first and the last and the living one. I died, behold, I'm alive forever. I have the keys of death and Hades. And sometimes I just picture Jesus with his resurrected hand touching my back, his right hand saying, fear not, and just feeling the impartation of strength and grace in that moment for him to say, you don't need to fear. I already died, and look, I'm alive. I am more than alive than, you know, John, you, you couldn't even recognize me in my resurrected glory. And I'm just thinking, if we really can see Jesus this way, the resurrected power, what you were just saying, that death is not something we need to be afraid of, but something that we actually have expectation for, the hope and the joy that is going to be there. It's like if we see his beauty and can impart that to our kids, the fearlessness that we will live in, that our kids will live in, I think it's a, there's a generation which the world is not worthy that is about to be seen on the earth. 
So beautiful. Andrew, worship team, go ahead and come on up if you want. I was just going to say, Gabe, I think that you should lead us in prayer with that verse. So that was my thought. I just, that you should pray for the room. With well, me. before you do that, I'll share, because I thought of a testimony, then you pray. It's a short one. It's a, it's a man's testimony. It's, a, it's just right in front of me as you're talking. It's a Jewish man. He's with the Lord now. His name was Matthew Schwartz. And he was born and raised in New York, and him and his friends, this is about 1970 or something, were traveling across America one summer from New York to California just to check out life. They're both about 20 years old. They're both Jewish. And they see, they're on this stretch down uh, Arizona, hundreds of miles of nobody, of desert. And there's this young Hispanic guy hitchhiking. And they look at him and they go, what? How did you get out here like 40 miles from anything. And they pull over and they go, you need a ride? They go, yeah. The guy gets in the car and they're looking at him. He's about 20 years old. They're about 20. He sits in the back seat. And it's an angel actually. And, but these two Jewish guys don't know it. And he sits in the back seat and he doesn't say anything for five or 10 minutes. And, and they're trying to talk to him. Hey, Hi, how you doing? He says, uh, would you stop right here and let me out? And they said, why? He says, because I need to get out here, but the God of Israel has an appointment with you tonight. And they said, the God of Israel? What? How do you know we're Jewish? They didn't say that. They goes, how do they know? So the guy gets out, 50 miles of highway each direction, all desert. They look behind, he's gone. And they figured out later he was an angel, but they didn't know at that time. So they said, the God of Israel has an appointment with you. He goes, go two miles there. There's a road, go left. And there's a church there. He'll meet you there, a little Episcopal church. So they go, these two unbelieving 20-year-old Jewish guys, real intellectuals from New York, and going, let's go. How, how could we go wrong? Where'd that kid go anyway, you know? And he just disappeared. And they don't think he's an angel yet. It's only after they get saved. They drive up a mile or two, go left, go up there. There's a little 50-member Episcopal church. They go, well, let's go in. Nobody's there. The door's open. And they're, look, they're sitting in this little sanctuary, and there's this 10-foot picture of a Scandinavian-looking Jesus, you know, near blondish, little bit effeminate, you know, like that. You know, they're looking at it going, <laughs> just, ah. They're looking at him, they go, what is the deal? And they're just staring, they're thinking, what's this God of Israel thing? And they're kind of a little turned off by this view of this picture of this man. He says, and suddenly, he says, Jesus steps out of the, of, of the big painting. And he's standing in front of them, looked them in the eyes. And they went, in real life, like three feet out, standing in midair. And he stared straight at us. And he goes, I had three things came to both of us. I am alive. That's <laughs> pulsating. I am Jewish. He looked totally Jewish. And I love you. And then Jesus never said a word. He just stood out of the picture. And both of these guys were so radically impacted, they couldn't move. I mean, they, they said, we, this was like eight o'clock, uh, like five in the afternoon. We did not say one word to each other till the next day. We drove an hour back. We could not say a word. And they both got radically saved that night. But in fact, as he goes, I heard the story many times. He goes, he stepped out of the picture. I'm just thinking of Revelation 1. I am alive. He says, that's all his eyes said. I'm alive, I'm Jewish, and I love you. And these two got radically saved without one word coming from his mouth. It was that. Anyway, I just thought of that. Now pray that we see that Jesus. <laughs> well, feel free to stand if you want. The, the worship team is going to go till about 10. So uh, whatever you do, we want to keep the room as a sanctuary, uh, just of worship, not as a, a foyer. So if you want to chat, which is great, just go to the sides over there, because we want to stay here for the next 20, 25 minutes and just worship. Jesus, we just say that we love you, God. Lord, I pray for each one here and specifically, Lord, young moms or I don't know, I just, even for you guys, picture the young mom that you know. Father, I ask right now that you would stretch out your hand, your right hand, Lord, and you would strengthen us. Lord, I ask that we would see you in your beauty. Lord, we would behold your majesty, the, the power of the resurrection 
that is so real for us today, Lord. God, I ask that you would reach out your hand, Lord, and you would distill every fear. I even just say, thank you. Thank you that you have delivered us from the fear of death and every other fear that is rooted in it. We say thank you that you hold the keys to death and Hades. Lord, and we thank you that our children are in your hands. Lord, you are a much better leader. And so even tonight we make our confession, Lord, will you lead us? Will you lead our children? Lord, will you give us wisdom and insight for today and for the days to come? We trust your leadership, Jesus, and we say that you are beautiful. Your head is the finest gold. We bless your name in Jesus' name. Come Holy Spirit. Come Holy Spirit and touch our hearts right now we ask. Jesus, eyes of fire, come and walk in our midst, we ask right now. Holy and anointed Beautiful God. Come and rest on our hearts, Holy Spirit.